0: with Ali Rizvi and Armin Navabi. Welcome everybody to another episode of Secular
1: Jihadists for of Enlightenment. My name is Ali Rizvi, and uh, Armin Navabi is going to be back here soon. As you know, I'll just let you know that we went, uh, we had a, had a, we were both in Amsterdam recently uh, last weekend, and we just had an amazing conference there. Uh, that was organized by Mariam Namazi and the Council of Ex-Muslims of Britain and it was called Celebrating Descent." and there will be videos and everything that will come out from some of the panels that we did. Armin and I were both on the same panel called Comedy, the Sacred and Islamophobia so um, uh, we will, I'll I'll send you more information about that. Armin should be back uh, sometime next week Uh, so we're going to be going back to our usual formats of the podcast where both of us are going to be together so Um, that's great, but that doesn't mean that this episode is going to be any less. So this episode, we actually have, um, I think this is a first for us. Uh, we are talking to, and this is not his real name, but we're talking to Zach and Zach uh, is a gay ex Muslim, um, man who's living in Pakistan, a young man. He's 19 years old, so very young, uh, and he's uh, living in Pakistan. He's speaking to us from Pakistan. Uh, There are many things about him that you're going to hear in this podcast, but one of the most important things I want to say up front is the very first ex-Muslim podcast, a podcast coming out of Pakistan, right, uh, by an ex-Muslim, much less a gay ex-Muslim, is going to be uh, launched very, very soon by Zach, and, and the podcast is called the sinning Skeptics. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about a lot more. This is going to be a, a pretty fascinating episode. So uh, first of all, Zach, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, thank you for having me on.
1: And I, I keep on wanting to speak to you in Urdu, but you know, this is for uh, everybody who speaks in English, a lot of our audience. So we're going to try to stick to English. But if I bust out into Urdu, just let me know. Because it's, do. <laughs> it's very, very comfortable. So. Uh-huh. So uh, let's start from this. So, so you're um, uh, a gay ex-Muslim who's in Pakistan. And to introduce you, I, I just want to say recently, I think it was uh, this month or last month in August, uh, Richard Dawkins shared a tweet that, that you sent out. Um, and uh, the tweet was this. I'll read it out to the audience. Uh, so this is from you, Zach. It said, my timeline to where I am now devout Muslim, to confused by hatred in Muslim community, to questioning Islam, to reading Islamic scripture, to being conflicted, to leaving Islam but believing in God, to realizing religion is man-made, to questioning God, to Richard Dawkins, and then to agnostic atheists. So clearly, uh, Richard absolutely loved this, right? And he mm-hmm. tweeted, uh, with a screenshot of your tweet, he said, the translations project. Uh, which is the Richard Dawkins project to translate a lot of his books into Arabic, Farsi, Urdu, Indonesian. So he said, the translations project is making a number of books available for free download in Arabic, Farsi, Urdu, and Indonesian. I hope this will contribute to more journeys and tweets like this one in the future. And then he quoted your tweet. Um, So first of all, that's pretty amazing. Uh, You've had... uh, I I mean, already I see uh, your work on social media, everything that you write about. It's so sensible and it makes so much sense and I find it just incredibly inspiring. So let's start from the beginning. What's your family background? How did you start up? Uh, You don't have to talk about your exact location in Pakistan or uh, go into a lot of details, but but tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Um, So I was born in Pakistan to not a conservative family, my family is quite modern from a certain perspective, but when I was about five years old, my parents moved to the UAE, um, particularly Sharjah, which is a city in the UAE. It's neighboring to Dubai for people who don't know. And mm-hmm. because of lack of job opportunities in this country and my parents had two kids, me and my sister, and they just, he, my dad was just not earning enough and we had to move to the UAE. It was in the UAE where my parents started in a way, islamicizing. They started becoming even more religious. And my mom went from just like no dubatta, no hijab, no veil, to like dubatta, then a hijab, then an abaya, and then a burqa, and then and like covering her face and everything. Mm-hmm. And so um, we grew up in Dubai. And around three months ago, I moved back to Pakistan for university. And I've been here ever since.
1: Yeah, so, so your, your is your mother still very religious? She still wears the naqab and the
2: abaya. Uh, my, the... my parents are super, super ultra-conservative, which is a contrast to my family, because my family, um, they do follow religion, and they do believe in religion, but um, they aren't really that conservative, and they're kind of against the whole extremist thing. But my parents are borderline extremists, because they belong to... Um, an organization in Pakistan, an Islamic organization. It's quite popular. It's multinational. Um, should I take the name if that's okay?
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: It's called Dawate Islami. And they are Barelvi Sunnis, which are like mm-hmm. very right wing Sunnis. And so, so they're. So,
1: yeah. Go ahead.
2: So they're very extremist in their approach and they have a lot of extremist interpretations. And I've been subject to that from a very young age. When I was younger, when I was like. 11-12 uh, is around the time my parents started really islamicizing into this organization and i was too islamicizing into it because as a kid i was following what my parents did and i was i used to attend their weekly ijtima their weekly Um i used to wear the turban i used to wear the sunnah inspired dress and i don't i think i have pictures related to that maybe one day when i reveal my identity i'll post them on twitter or something
1: inshallah Inshallah!
2: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was really uh, Islamistized as a kid.
1: Yeah, so so you have... So, so your family is... Uh, so they're still away. They don't live
2: with you right now, right? They're here on vacations, and they they go tomorrow back to the UAE. But yeah, they don't live with me anymore.
1: And and how, how is your relationship with your family now?
2: Um, it's better when they're... It's the distance between us. Um, before coming to Pakistan, I settled things. I said, look, for our relationship to work we are on the two polar opposites of the spectrum Mm -hmm. you're extremely conservative and islamic and i am literally an ex-muslim atheist who is also gay and who is liberal so the only way for us to compromise the only way for us to get along with each other is to compromise i've been compromising you all these years and it's about time you start compromising my belief system
1: oh wow so how does so you came out to them and this again you're so you're you're your mother wears a full body abaya and she wears a face veil. And you yeah. just, you came out to them not only as an ex-Muslim atheist, but you came out as gay. How, only to my mom. Only to your mom. So yeah. your father doesn't know.
2: My father doesn't know that I'm gay, but my father does know that I don't really practice Islam anymore.
1: And how, how, did, how did your mother react to that?
2: Not well. We had a huge fight in which I got heated up and I said, Really, really blasphemous things.
1: <laughs> I oh was my in God. my
2: room. And, and over there, we have we live in an apartment. So our rooms are, like, right next to each other. So I was just shouting blasphemous stuff in my room. And they were hearing in the next room. And I was making sure they got hurt. Um, but, like, then they came. And then they begged me to read the Kalma and all of that. Um, and become a Muslim again. And then the next day, we had a conversation. My mom started crying. She broke down because she didn't want me to go to hell. And it just really made me, like even more disgusted by religion, like what it can do to you and how it can emotionally manipulate manipulate you. And so, yeah, our relationship isn't the best, but we're working on it.
1: Okay, that's good. And what about siblings? Do you have any um, brothers or sisters?
2: I have a younger sister. She's 15. We had, uh, she's four years younger than me, and she does an Islamic course online. And she's forced to wear the hijab. And she does an Islamic course, and through that she learned so many things about it like the rulings and teachings of Islamic, Islamic teachings on women. And she got through that. She got to learn about a lot of misogyny that is in Islam. And because she's forced to wear hijab and stuff, she's really questioning religion. And I just told her, I'm like, you're 15, take it easy. This is your journey. And, you know, but she does lean towards not liking Islam too.
1: Okay. So that's good. So you're a good older brother then. I am. <laughs> yeah, you are.
2: You're,
1: so, I so, I, so this is amazing to me. So, so you lived in. It's not like you came to the West and you were exposed to these things directly or anything like uh-huh. that. I mean, you, you grew up in, in Sharjah in the UAE, which is you know a, a, an Arab Muslim majority country, um, and you not only uh, went through this journey. Where you became an atheist and you left uh, Islam, but you also um, uh, you also realized that you were gay and and you you came out to yourself. You you faced that yourself, and you seem really comfortable with it. Now, living in that kind of environment, uh, uh, let's let's talk about you know um, the gay aspect first. So, sure. How how did you realize and how did you become comfortable with it not enough in that environment living in that family to be so as as confident as you are now
2: um i kind of always knew i like boys my mm-hmm. mom and i used to watch indian dramas when we were young when i was younger before she islamicized <laughs> Islamized. Yeah, i and, like that she
1: uh, islamicized
2: uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and there was this drama called kasturi and The male star, the male lead was Robbie. Robbie Agrawal, I still remember. And he was my first crush and I just was like crazy about him. And Uh then when we moved to the UAE, we lived in shared apartments because we just could not afford the whole apartment to ourselves. And there was this young Pakistani boy. He was like in his 20s. I was like six years old and I had a huge crush on him. (laughs) And so I kind of always knew that I liked boys and that I was really inspired by women and I, that i love women i still i still love women i'm i'm a feminist a proud feminist but i was just never really sexually or romantically attracted to women but mm-hmm. with men i like the whole deal and yeah it's what helped me come to terms with it um i never really i always really accepted the fact that i liked men but i never really called myself gay because of the negative connotations of the word that i've been hearing ever since sixth grade and it was just a journey i think I really give a lot of credit to pop culture. I know a lot of people really just side eye and uh, to pop culture and really pop, the impact that pop culture has in modern time is amazing. Like I remember growing up with Demi Lovato and seeing her in 2014, I I was in ninth grade and she released the music video for her song, Really Don't Care. And the whole music video was dedicated to LGBT rights. It was a parade. And I was just like seeing these really colorful in a way weird people and it was weird for me because I'd never seen anything like that. But it was just so attractive to me. Like, all these different people, colorful, happy, cheerful people, and they aren't conforming to gender roles. They aren't conforming to gender stereotypes. They're just breaking gender roles and just living their lives. And they just so happy. And I found myself so attracted to that. And I searched it up, and it was the LGBT community. It was my community. Um, Something that I was... Um. I never knew existed. I always thought I was the only one who, who was this way, and it was nice discovering a community of people that are like me. And so, pop culture has a huge impact on had a huge impact on me. It still does.
1: I, you know, I I have made this point so much uh, here on this podcast that when people ask me, and I, you know, well, my, my history, in case you don't know, is that I I was also born in Pakistan. I was born in Lahore, and then uh-huh. I grew up in Libya, and then uh, I pretty much most of my time in Saudi Arabia, uh, and then after that I went back to Pakistan, I did university there, and then I, I only came to the West when I was 24 years old. So when I came here and I was 24, um, I started speaking a lot more openly about, about my atheism and about my yeah. sort of dislike for, for religion, uh, and people would say, well, why are you doing this here? What's the point of you doing it here? Why don't you do it in Pakistan? And I, and I told them, you know, we're in the internet age. Like, the changes that happen today, like, we see them in Pakistan. And, and one of my stories actually related to uh, the LGBT issue is that I, I remember in the 80s, I, I grew up when homophobia was absolutely rampant. I mean, g- gay people were thought of as the same as uh, incestual people, right?
2: Uh-huh.
1: So uh, I, I grew up that way. Um, and I remember when I was in university, uh, I read all of these op-eds and people debating about whether it's okay for gay people to get married or not, this and that. And then I saw Philadelphia, the movie Philadelphia with Tom Hanks, right? Uh Where he's a gay man and he's got uh, HIV and and they're trying to fire him from his job. And uh, he won an Oscar for that. It was a very, very famous movie. And and when I saw that, it completely changed everything I thought. So I, I completely agree with you about Pop culture, I, Pop culture I, the, back,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. When, when I, you know, when they say soft imperialism, you know, they, they say uh-huh. it's actually soft imperialism. The the ideas that you get about about freedom, about equality, from from uh, from Hollywood and and from the music that I listened to when I was growing up, um, all of these things had had such a massive impact. And now with the internet and actual ideas going across, I think uh, it's it's just a very different world, and it's very encouraging to me. Um, uh-huh. So yeah i but but in in so in your case, uh, when you saw this, did you well, first of all, when you first realized that you liked boys and you liked men, did it feel did you feel guilty about it, considering you're just surrounded by i mean, you know what it's like in schools and you know what it's like in in families and societies like
0: yeah.
1: the one in charge of, did you feel guilty or did you feel like there was something wrong with you? or not at all you are alone no
2: not at all i was always really just like comfortable with it and i and i love the fact that i was surrounded by boys but it was like <laughs> i <laughs> it was like i've always gone for older men so like i never really had a problem with people in my class i always just thought of them as friends and brothers and never really had a question anyone from my class ever i um, mean yeah. i think it's because we all grew up together as well so like you don't really have those feelings for them and i always just like had crush. like when i was in eighth grade i had a question in 11th grader when i was in uh, ninth grade, I had a crush on a 12th grader. So I was just kind of went for older men. And I was always really comfortable with it. And I loved that I was starting to boys, you know?
1: Yeah, that, I mean, that, that's that's really encouraging. <laughs> I think uh-huh. it's great that you <laughs> thought that way. I, 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 went, to, I went to an all-boys school in, for 12th grade. Uh, and it, it was only boys, and it was in Saudi Arabia. And I remember a lot of the guys there were... Like, they, they used to make out with each other and everything. And it was considered... Like, that was their way of rebelling. They thought it was cool. So it yeah. seemed like they were very comfortable with just sort of uh, same-sex physicality, at least, you know, uh-huh. not necessarily sexuality. So so it is kind of yeah. interesting how that happened. So, uh, what about when you, um, when you say that, you know, you heard the Demi Lovato song or you saw that video and you looked up the LGBT community and you said, okay, this is my people. Uh, how did you feel then when you found – I mean, th- there must have been some – Aspect of you feeling, did did you think that you were the only one like that who liked boys? Or did you sort of intuitively know that there must be other people like you?
2: I legit thought I was the only one who had feelings like that. And whenever I had crushes on guys, I always knew they wouldn't like me back because I was the only one who was like that. Uh Um, So I never really went for anybody. anybody. And discovering the LGBT community was like such a relief that there are so many more people like me. And I, initially, I thought it was just, like, the gay community. Like, you can only be gay or straight. But then, with time, I grew up. I learned about sexuality. Um, I learned about gender, gender identity, gender expression, all of that. And just, like, discovering all of this and knowing that there's a community of people out there like me who, know, who love and support me without even knowing me. Like, we are just, like, a huge community, especially living in Pakistan. It's like, we really don't have anyone. You can't really be out here. You can't really have anything. You can't have bride parades, you can have. You can you can have parties, but like those parties are really questionable and not really like you know as a gay man, you just don't really want to drink and have sex all the time. Sometimes yeah. it's just like you want to be able to connect and socialize with other LGBT members of this country, and we don't really have an opportunity like that here or in the UAE. And but it was just like really comforting to know that there is a community of people online to support me.
1: Yeah but when when you were when you thought that you said that you know you thought that you were the only one like this like legit and you didn't think there was anybody else like you 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 never i, I know you were comfortable with who you were but you never felt alone did you ever feel like you were alone or how are you going to explore this how are you going to what's going to happen in the future
2: um, did you ever have those feelings I, I always did feel alone because i was always different i was always picked on for being feminine for liking feminine things um, I was I was called gay slurs ever since I was in fifth grade, and so I always felt alone. I I remember trying to mask it up. I used to um, ask my sister to film to record me walking, or just yeah. like talking, or like like random things. And then I would watch the clips back and see the way I was walking or talking or eating or whatever was feminine or masculine, because that's uh-huh. how conscious society had made me. And it wasn't like it was just few people. It was my parents, it was my family, it was my friends. I think the only people who didn't really have a problem with it was my teachers. None of my teachers have ever had a problem with me being feminine, and they always kind Mm. of defended me. But apart from that, everybody did. Everyone did. I remember even being in 11th grade, when I came to terms with my sexuality and everything, and I was, and I called myself an LGBT activist in 11th grade. I was just 17, but you know. And I, but I still wasn't out yet. And someone asked my friends asked me if I'm gay and I said no and they say then why are you so feminine I mean as if being gay would have made that okay it's like straight people can be feminine too you know and it was just like it was a constant thing that I I dreaded going to school because there was something new every day and I remember I dreaded Arabic class the most because in Arabic you have male and female pronouns for everything yes whenever the female pronouns would come up the entire class would point at me and make fun of me and like I would just put on a smile. I would just like laugh it off, but inside I would be like, uh like I didn't have to do that to me. And so it was like something new every day. And I was, uh, like, d- I remember being in eighth grade and my friend telling me, like, when, when are you going to mask up? And the other was like, oh, by 12th grade, you'll change and stuff like that. And I was just looking in the face. I'm like, why can you not accept me for the way I am? Like, I'm not harming anyone.
1: Yeah. H- how How did you overcome that? Um,. Like it's because kids are kids are cruel. I mean, kids are cruel enough as it is. Even if you're not gay, um, and you, on top of that, were sort of you know you had that quote-unquote sort of feminine appearance, like you know the behavior and all of that. How how did you? And when people would poke fun at you, how how did you sort of uh, how did you overcome that and become kind of the way that you are today?
2: I think when I accepted myself. For who i was before I was like when people used to make fun of me and call me out i used to agree with them that i i'm supposed to be masculine i'm a boy and i'm not supposed to act this way and hence the video recording and trying to fix myself i used to like i started putting hands in my pocket because i was so conscious about the way i walk so it just it became a habit i couldn't i could never walk without taking hands out of my pocket and it was just like i agreed with them i agreed with society and the moment i accepted The moment I matured, I grew up, I accepted myself for who I was. I knew there was nothing wrong with me. Um, That's when I overcame this. And I just built a thick skin because when you go through it from a very young age, and I mean a very, very young age, when you're too young to understand any of it, you eventually do get over it and you do build a thick skin.
1: Mm -hmm. There's a, I don't know if you've been following these, a lot of the uh, Muslim parents who have been protesting in Birmingham. I have. Uh, Yeah, so all the primary schools, and they're saying that, uh, you know, that we should not teach our kids any of this uh, stuff about, you know, gay people, and all all they're really doing, all the schools are doing is they just want to teach kids that, you know, some kids have two mothers, some kids have two daddies, and that's, you know, because they're in class with these kids, right? A lot of these kids. So they should know that that's actually something that's normal, even if Uh it may not be the norm, it's still Mm -hmm. normal. And I'm hearing you say that, you know, since you were six years old, since you were five, I mean, you you knew these things. Um, Do you think that would have helped if, like, uh, do you think think it's important for kids to be able to normalize this from a very young age?
2: It is. It's definitely so important because I definitely would have needed that support as a young gay kid. Um, It would have been a lot easier for me growing up if I was taught from a very young age that I was normal, that my feelings were valid and natural, and that it's it's okay to feel the way I feel. And it, it thing is, like, when you grow up in this society as a gay kid, you never really grow up, you start living your teens in your adult life because yeah. you never really got to live your teen years. And mm. so I think I would have grown up in a normal pace as the other kids. But one good side to this would be that I matured a lot earlier than a lot of the other kids in my class. And so yeah. it it made me stronger, it made me more compassionate, it made me more liberal, more open minded and I think. Had I not got through all of that, I would be I would not be here today because I would still be a Muslim, maybe an extremist one, because of the kind of family that I grew up with. It was things like these that made me really appreciate liberalism and freedom and liberty and eventually secularism.
1: Yeah, so so how how much did I guess you're already kind of hinting towards that, but how much did realizing that you're gay or or, or being gay, how much did that have to do with your journey when it came to uh, leaving religion and and going against the kind of religious upbringing you had? Um,
2: why I left Islam had a lot of reasons. Being gay mm-hmm. was one of the major ones, but it wasn't really that major because. As a gay Muslim, I was actually really content with my sexuality and religion because I just didn't pay mind to what religious scripture said. I just believed that my Allah, my God, my creator loved me for who I was. He made me the way I am. And if people are using his name against me, I know that he's the one who understands me because Allah was my best friend. Um, When I was so alone, I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. I didn't have any friends. I didn't have... People who liked me because I was just a bit different. I confided in Allah, and I believed that He was my best friend because He understood the way I was. And mm. so I didn't really have a problem being a gay Muslim. I was really content with my sexuality and religion. But the difference between me and some people is that I actually outgrew my imaginary friend.
1: Yeah, And and what do you think? I mean, I, I met uh, you know one of my favorite people and a really really good friend. <laughs> uh Jimmy Bungash I, I don't know if you know about him he's a I
2: love him he recently followed me on twitter i was fangirling so hard
1: <laughs> he's yeah he's the, he's the absolute best i just spent like all, the whole weekend with him in amsterdam uh-huh. and it was a total uh-huh. blast he's just one of the most amazing people he's been on this podcast twice so for for those who don't know or who may have missed those episodes uh, Jimmy Bungash is a very sort of out and proud super articulate um he's he's a gay british pakistani Um, uh, LGBT activist and uh, ex-Muslim who is based in the UK and uh, you know it's just it's interesting I I was asking him uh, about sort of a similar thing that you know you have ex-Muslims who are uh, you have gay ex-Muslims who reject religion because they feel like the religion uh, discriminates against them and then you have also uh, Muslim LGBT LGBT uh, people, uh, especially here, there's many LGBT Muslim groups uh, that uh, think I, I that say a lot of the things think that you said, uh, you know, about your past when you believe that Allah made me this way, um, that uh, you know Allah loves us the way that we are, and so on. So, so is there? Do do you think there is any hope of uh, the sort of ex-Muslim uh, at LGBT uh, people and Muslim LGBT people working together uh, because there seems to be some animosity between the two.
2: There does. And I I hope so. I hope so because I I love all LGBT people. That includes Muslim LGBT because I came out through an, a Muslim LGBT account. I have to shout them out on Instagram, the Queer Muslim Project. They are mm-hmm. India-based. And I yeah. came out through their post and the weird thing was that I had already left Islam by that time, but I still wanted to come out through them because they were just so supportive of me. And I have, most of my followers on Instagram are Muslim LGBT or Muslims who are secularists. And so I think there definitely can be work done between the two. I know there's a lot of animosity and everything because a lot of Muslim LGBT don't like stuff like Allah is gay or Muhammad is gay or stuff like that. It really yeah. offends them. Which is mm-hmm. just like I could care less because we're going to do it anyways. But I think there definitely needs to be like a roundtable talk and uh, mm-hmm. a virtual roundtable talk. And let's come to terms because at the end of the day, we're all LGBTQ members and we are fighting persecution and oppression, and we have to work together.
0: Yeah,
1: well said. So, uh, so let's just move on to uh, the timeline that you posted, the one that was shared by uh-huh. Richard Dawkins. Uh, yes. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So you said that you know you were a devout muslim so I, I just want to kind of go through it step by step because I, right. I i actually think that this is going to be i mean i i hear so much and i know armin does too uh, we hear from so many young um sort of questioning muslims and closet atheists and closet free thinkers at, around the world in in all kinds of muslim majority countries and i i feel like this is such a great way for them to relate and to know that they're not alone so you're saying you started as a devout Muslim, so you talked about that, uh, how you grew up in, in your family, and then you became confused by the hatred in the Muslim community. So that seems like the first step. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about that? What was the hatred in the Muslim community specifically that that you experienced, that you were confused by?
2: There was always hatred in the Muslim community, let's be real. Um, yeah. When I was young, my mom alienated alienated the Jews, she talked real shit about Shias. She talked shit about kafirs and how you can't drink in the same compass them and stuff like that. So there was always hatred in the Muslim community. And there is a lot of hatred in the Muslim community. Of course, not every Muslim is like that. But in overwhelming numbers, in Muslim majority countries, people still believe in all of these things. They won't express it, but they do believe in these things. My, I think I started taking it seriously when I saw on Twitter, I was still Muslim and I was, back then, my account was a Demi Lovato fan account. <laughs> yeah. And and i saw a tweet from a muslim um it was from it was someone who quote tweeted uh, an lgbt muslim account who were celebrating pride and they said like a really homophobic tweet. and they were muslim and i was just like it's just one muslim and i saw the likes and retweets and it was in tens and thousands and so many people agreeing in the comments like of course we can respect someone as an individual but we opposed their lgbt and stuff like that. It was just, like, so messed up. And I was just so conflicted by it. And I just, like, for the first time, I didn't pay it really mind because it was, like, the first thing. But then I discovered Muslim Twitter. And the whole thing, the whole, that whole part of Twitter is just messed up Muslim mm. Twitter. I, call, I called them out a few days ago because they were coming for one of my followers. And I was like, uh, hold on, like, bitch, let me get you. And, <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> yeah. And...
2: I just discovered Muslim Twitter and they're just so obsessed with misogyny and sexism and double standards and homophobia and all of that. And I was just like, it made me question, why is this so much hatred? Because it made me think about all the hatred that is already existing in the Muslim community apart from homophobia, like of Shias, of other Muslim minorities, of Ahmadis, of um, Kafirs, of Murtads, of apostates, of all of that. Of
1: women, yeah.
2: Of women, of course. And I was just like, where is all of this coming from? It, it cannot be Islam. And mm. I just started Googling, and what I found was just atrocious.
1: Yeah. And, and so, so you had to talk, talk about that a little bit. So you started Googling. What did you Google, and what did you find?
2: I remember I was on Quora. Quora is an online website in which like people ask questions, and then you answer. It's extremely popular. It's like the modern... Yeah, who answers?
1: Right? Q- yeah, Q-U-O-R-A, right? Yeah, Quora. That site, yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. and i remember reading on that how one white guy said that uh, punishing uh, leaving islam is punishable by death in islam and i was just like this is just like some random white guy who has an anti muslim propaganda and i was like mm-hmm. let me like he said it in the hadith let me like really just google the hadith and i googled the hadith and there were two hadiths one was like how you can you cannot kill anyone unless they have murdered someone or they have done another thing and the third reason was if they had committed apostasy and I was like well this is kind of vague and then there was a second hadith which is like whoever changes his religion execute him and I remember just like finding a lot of these hadiths and eventually a lot of verses I remember reading your book and it was I think chapter 7 that dealt with um, the Quranic verses Quranic verses and taking them out of context and like what Mm. the right context is and how you argued that for one specific verse um you give the example of what if the united states president said this like it would never basically your point was that no matter what context you add to this it would never be okay to say it because it is hate speech and Mm -hmm. it was just like stuff like this that really disgusted me and made me sick to my stomach and for a long time i was just like i compromised i kind of ignored and i came to a point where i was like you know i can follow the religion without really believing in all aspects of it but then eventually, I just became too disgusted by it as I kept on discovering it, and eventually I left.
1: Yeah. So, so you're saying that so you know you went to so you see this hatred in the Muslim community, you start questioning Islam, you um, start you know reading the scripture and like going into it and and really looking at the uh, the the backgrounds behind a lot of the verses and the Hadith, and then uh, you became conflicted. But then you went through this phase where you said you left Islam but you believed in God and yeah. that that spoke to me because that is actually something not a lot of us talk about but mm-hmm. I went through that too I became sort of, uh, for a while I said maybe I can just be a Quranic Muslim you know, just go with the Quran I'll uh-huh. uh, but then th- there was a time when I, I was uh, I left Islam but I thought that there's there there's probably a, a God but you know, it, he can't be writing all these books and all these religions so mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm i I'm kind of still, I mean, not necessarily God, but when it comes to like a higher power, a higher intelligence, it could be laws of physics, could be anything. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm still sort of agnostic about that, 50-50. But uh-huh. when it comes to religion, I'm essentially atheistic, like
2: 99.9%. And uh-huh. so
1: I was wondering, was was that a phase for you or where are you on
2: that now?
1: It was definitely
2: a phase for me. I'm very firm in my agnostic atheism right now. Um, yeah. Yeah. The- thing was that i was like when i left islam i was like well there has to be a god there has to be a creator like how can you expect me to look at this nature and this like just like take the structure of a tree for example it's just so breathtaking when you really you know think about it and like how can it how can not all of this have a creator? So they must have had creator. So now that I had left Islam, I was like, okay, well, should I look into other religions and see what they say? And I did. I looked into Christianity, Judaism. I looked into Hinduism, Buddhism, all of that. Buddhists don't really have a God. And yeah. it attracted me for a while, but then whatever. And then eventually it was like, I'm giving so much time and my mind to all these religions, but I kind of realized that I didn't give any time to the non-religious
0: and I was
2: like well maybe I should hear their perspective on this as well and it was when I discovered Richard Dawkins, Sam Harris uh, Christopher Hitchens and Ayan Hirsi Ali and Mm. then you and then eventually I came onto Twitter I discovered my mom Zara K I discovered my other mom (laughs) Yasmin Muhammad my third mom Mariam Namazi and um, my dad's (laughs) B. Bangash, Armin Nawabi, Atheist Republic, Secular Jihadist Podcast, and yeah. so on and so on. And eventually, I just became an agnostic atheist.
1: I love it. And here you are on the Secular Jihadist Podcast, huh?
2: I just cannot. Like, I remember yeah, this reading is your a... book. It's just so surreal. Like, I never expected that I would be on a podcast with the author of the book that really just changed my life so like I, well, i'm really I mean, really grateful for you
1: i have to say i mean i immediately when i started reading the things that you wrote and i clearly you know richard dawkins feels the same way and when i saw it i i just thought i was like this kid is so he's so smart and he's so articulate and moreover you, you're so considering that you're still i mean you're speaking to us from pakistan right now i mean uh-huh. there's a that's ballsy. It's it's risky, and and you know we're taking every precaution we can to make sure that you know your identity isn't revealed. Because I know uh-huh. it's really crazy over there, but it is. Um, the the fact that you're so comfortable f- with this, I think, is just so powerful, and it could be so inspiring to other kids like you, um, you know, who grew up like you, but may not have that same kind of resilience and the comfort with your with with themselves as, as you did. So I I think you're just, uh, I mean, the reason I invited you here immediately is because I I just think that you know you are exemplary as a, as a person, and it, it and for that purpose, you know, for specifically, uh, you're just a voice that everybody needs to hear. So, um, you know, the the honor really is all mine. And do you want to
2: film, do you want to record this podcast or do you want to make me cry? <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: I'm not gonna, I, I, I don't want to make you cry. I have but... the
2: biggest grin on my face right now. she could see it. <laughs> no, Thank no. You, so you know what?
1: Hopefully, hopefully, we're gonna meet one day, and uh, we're gonna we get are. you. We're gonna do whatever we can to get you over to one of these conferences and actually, actually, speak. Because I know, I, I, We've been talking. I mean, Armin and I have been talking on this podcast and with Jimmy and with, with others about how, this, this really is the front. I think that. Uh, seeing um, just all all of these heroes in the LGBTQ community uh, come out from Muslim-majority countries. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course, you know, being an ex-Muslim, not to diminish that at all. I mean, we all are familiar with all of the risks and and all of the dangers that people go through just doing that. But to do that and also be uh, LGBT and come out, Mm -hmm. I I think it's a very powerful thing. And, And it creates a dilemma for... A lot of Western liberals here, you know, where, where I live in Canada or in the United States, is, uh-huh. uh, there are a lot of sort of Western liberals who I, I'm allied with. I mean, these are my friends. These are my people and uh, on pretty much 90% of all issues. But when it comes to, like, if a Christian person says something, if a Christian televangelist says something homophobic, they will immediately condemn them. But when yeah. it comes to homophobia and Islam, they are strangely silent about it because they don't want to be seen as islamophobic but when people like you and people like jimmy come out and you talk about the homophobia in islam just like uh, the lgbt community here talks about the homophobia in christianity when you do that uh and you get the kind of reaction that you do from you know what you said in muslim twitter and (laughs) all this homophobic stuff it confuses them because they don't know they, they don't want to be seen as Islamophobic but yeah. they even more than that they don't want to be seen as homophobic you know uh-huh. and and that really I think puts the situation right in front of them uh, the dilemma right in front of them in a way that they just have to face it they have to face yeah. it they, they can't be hypocritical about it anymore and I, I think that that is why you know your voice and Jimmy's voice and, and especially all of these uh, new people that I'm seeing coming out from you know as 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 gay and as lesbian as trans as as bi in uh, as queer uh, from the Muslim world are are so are so important uh, for mm-hmm. this and for for the visibility of everything mm-hmm. but so so you had this uh, see ha- so you've had this journey now in in Pakistan, so you're you're two things I mean you're ex-muslim and you're also uh, gay, how how do you? Is there a community there? What what is the situation like? First of all, for um, ex-Muslims in Pakistan and and for gay people, and just I want to say just one more thing about ex-Muslims is, is that we discuss the recent episode with Haris Sultan, uh, who is also uh-huh. a Pakistani podcaster. I love Australia. him. Yeah, yeah, he's amazing. He was there in Amsterdam too, uh, uh-huh. and uh, you know, so so with with. We talked about an article that was written by Gawar Khuldoon Shahid, who's, a, who's a, one of my favorite Pakistani journalists. And it was called um, uh, The Defiance of Pakistani Atheists. And it was in the Diploma. Uh-huh. And I, I remember around the time I was writing my book, there were a lot of sort of uh, Pakistani atheists who were online, used to hear their voices and everything a lot. But in the last couple of years, they've been driven into silence so Pakistan has been censoring tweets they've been censoring YouTube videos uh, censoring channels Facebook posts they've actually gone out and taken secular bloggers uh, away and tortured them there was a whole Ayaz Nizami hang Ayaz Nizami um, yeah that, I remember I, that an Entire nation of people was calling for the hanging and execution of this this, this guy who who's just because he, he's a free thinker he's an atheist yeah. And so they've kind of been driven to all these sort of encrypted messaging services like WhatsApp, and that's how they communicate. What, what is the situation like for ex-Muslims in Pakistan
2: where you are on the ground right now? As um, far, you know. I remember I remember this crackdown happening back in 2017. It was under the Nawaz Sharif government, mm-hmm. um, but it was, it was more to do with the armed forces than it was with the government. Uh, most of the people who were, in a way, abducted and the infamous line taken for 72 hours on trip um, yeah. were mostly people who were, they were against the army and spoke against the army. Um, and free thinkers and atheist bloggers were just kind of like, um, what, what can you say? They were like another, another kind of people, another group of people who were taken and abducted. But the main was the people who were dissenters of the army. And yeah. it was basically, It says that it was under the Nawaz Sharif government, but you know, in Pakistan, the civilian government has less say than the armed forces here. And so I remember that happening, and I remember Ayaz uh, Hang Ayaz was trending yeah. in Pakistan, and it was one of the things. I was 17, I think. Yeah, I was 17, mm-hmm. and it was it really disgusted me because I, I never really liked atheists. I never really liked what they stood for. I always thought they were really hopeless and like how can you not believe in a God? And like, don't you have a life or anything? And, but I never really condoned that. I was like, well, you can't hang people just because they are free thinkers and they have different perspectives than you. So I've been in Pakistan for only three months. And so far, there really isn't an ex Muslim community here. If there is, I've heard, I've heard from a friend of mine, well, an ex friend of mine, he stopped contacting me because, the because I became really popular on Twitter and he was fearing his safety. So, mm. Uh, his cousin said that in some universities here, there are people who are openly atheist and people who have like all these, they have atheist forums, they have private discussions, they have these small groups. So I think stuff definitely happens here. But since I've been here only for three months, I really don't know that much. But in Pakistan, everything happens, whether it's um, booze or drugs or sex or atheism or atheist uh, conventions. Not really conventions, but like, um, uh, meetups or LGBT parties, everything happens here. It's just it's all underground and it's all hid. And as long as you don't catch the attention of the authorities, who you could really just bribe away. To be honest, it's not that difficult. But yeah, um, it's so everything happens here. But I can't really speak because I have another friend of mine who's also on the team, a team member of my podcast, and she lives in Ra uh, she she lives in a neighboring city of mine and she's pakistani as well she's 29 and she said that she has um been criticizing islam for all these years and she's never really faced any problems but that's because she's kept it kind of low-key with me it's like i've just been very blunt in calling muhammad yeah. a pedophile and saying burn the quran and stuff like that like i get if i get hyper sometimes uh-huh. um, and she was just like classing me on how since you're gonna live in pakistan you can criticize islam just stay low-key and don't be so blunt but i never really listen to her and about the censorship thing uh, my tweets calling out muslim twitter for being hateful was censored in france and i was so surprised i got an email that my tweet is not being shown in france and i have one follower in france and they said that they can't see the tweet because it's it's retracted in france and I was just really surprised. I was like, France of all places, like Even Pakistan didn't have a problem with my tweets, like why does France have a problem?
1: Well, you and know, Apparently. Th- yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: And apper- apparently someone told me that France is having an Islam, Islamization problem or something like that. And I was mm-hmm. really shocked to know, considering that they have been going through so many Islamist attacks in the past. They've been very yeah. really careful.
1: Yeah, it is tough. I mean, France is uh, sort of um, facing, there's a big conversation happening in France right now because, I mean that's obviously the place where you had the Paris attacks that you know that you had the Charlie Hebdo shooting um, yeah uh, nice attacks. yeah that one uh, that and, and the the guy who drove the truck into the crowd and killed a whole uh-huh. bunch of people uh yeah. so the, there've been many sort of islamic uh, terrorist attacks in France and but but the population it, it also France is also about 15% i think muslim um really yeah yeah it's a it's a very significant percentage Uh, that are muslims so so there is a lot of uh, and and the thing is that many of them are actually they're not conservative crazy islamic fundamentalists you know many of them are Mm -hmm. very 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 liberal and they're so so there's a big mix of things so france is a complicated Mm -hmm. thing but i completely agree with you i mean this is to censor for france to start censoring Mm -hmm. tweets i mean you know, France introduced the the hijab ban in public places. France, yeah. also, I mean, their whole version of secularism, laïcité, they call it. Right, that that's, uh, it's it's a much more, it's a much stronger version of secularism. Where, like, secularism in the U.S., for instance, is just separation of religion and state. Um, uh-huh. But it allows for a, a lot of religious freedom. But um, secularism in France is is much more it has more of an anti-religion bent, uh, not just strict separation of religion and state. So I'd, I'd, a lot of times, I mean, I'd, I've seen, like, uh, some of my tweets, some of, uh, you know, Armin especially, some of his posts, uh, it's Pakistan that actually goes to Twitter and says that, uh, can can you make this invisible to people in Pakistan? But I've, I've never heard of that happening in France, so that's actually... Mm-hmm. Um, that's outrageous, actually. It's ridiculous. It is. That it's happening. I remember
2: one of Haris Sultan's videos being taken down on Pakistan on YouTube. And I saw his tweet about that. So yeah. I had an idea. So like when I got the email, I was expecting something like Pakistan or, or a Muslim-majority country. And when I saw France, I was just really taken aback.
1: Yeah, th- this is am- amazing to me. I, I don't understand, with Haris especially. I mean, Haris is doing such amazing work. And he he, mm-hmm. he is really the only... Sort of an uh, ex-Muslim atheist who's broadcasting in Urdu. Yeah, but he has regular Urdu. He had Hamza Ali Abbasi on on for two episodes.
2: I watched that, and I just cannot stand Hamza. But like, I watched the video because of Harris.
1: Yeah, and I was telling you know the thing with Harris and that conversation with Harris and Hamza. And I was telling Harris this. Um, it's like it it doesn't matter what they talked about. The fact is that Hamza Ali Abbasi was actually. A very, uh, you know, he's a, he's a pop- very popular celebrity in Pakistan. He's, he's a friend of the prime minister. He's he a is. friend of Imran Khan's, right? I mean, uh-huh. he's part of the Daikin South Party. For this yeah. guy to come and actually have a one-on-one debate with Harris, I, I think there are, you know, because initially people used to think, okay, there's Muslims and then there's these ex-Muslims that are kind of crawling under rocks and they're a fringe. But he actually brought them up to one-on-one level. The fact that he engaged with Harris one-on-one two times, yeah, and had this debate, yeah. I think is, uh, I, uh, to me, the content of what they talked about or who made the better point, the, none of that is even relevant. The, the fact that there's a platform now, and this is something that is an option, and people are seeing through Hamza that, or I'm speaking Urdu now, that there are, <laughs> wow, so there are people like this, being an ex-Muslim and atheist is a real thing, you know, yeah. you can actually do this. Uh, Because, you know, when I grew up, we just had conservative Muslims, liberal Muslims. There was no, I didn't even know. There was just the idea of being, uh, you know, an apostate was completely out of the question. But Uh the fact that there's a whole generation of kids who are going to see that this is an option and that Uh Horace is, uh, you know, nice looking guy. Very nice looking guy, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah he doesn't have any horns he doesn't have fangs he doesn't have fire shooting out of his mouth I mean he's just uh-huh. a regular normal good decent guy uh, who's fairly uh-huh. articulate is uh I, I think it's it's a very very powerful thing um uh-huh. so I've I've been uh encouraged by that a lot but I I think uh how, how do you feel now with because you know you, you talked about how uh what happened with Ayaz Nazami and all of those secular bloggers that were Taken away. That was under the old government of Nawaz Sharif. How, how do you feel about uh, the new prime minister, Imran Khan, and, and how things are going? Uh, uh, in that, do you think that there's uh, is this a better situation? Is it worse? The same? People are not happy.
2: That's all I can say. Um, I supported Imran Khan. I thought that it would be nice to have a change for once. Um, our country has been victim of corruption uh, in, at the hands of the civilian government, at the hands of the armed forces for far too long. And I was naive enough to believe that it would stop with Imran Khan. Um, it's It started with his Islamist-inspired speech, like his uh, riyasat medina He wants to have a state of Medina. And I, to be honest, I don't think he means it in a really conservative, extremist kind of way. Mm. I think if his version of Ryacate Medina is just having equal rights for minorities, where people are treated equally and have access to basic facilities. Um, but the economic situation in the country is really bad right now. My one of my uncles were saying that my family is, like, mostly Nawaz Sharif because my uh, grandfather was a famous media personality of Pakistan. And mm-hmm. he had ties to Nawaz Sharif, so most of my, fam- my paternal family is uh, quite pro-Nawaz. But a few here and there in my maternal family and paternal family are uh, pro-Imran. And they said that the situation might get better because um, right now the government has, like, the, they have the burden of the previous government's mistakes. And they have to sort that out for them to have new reforms and everything. So mm-hmm. I'm just like, I'm just like watching it. I'm just like, can we please have one government complete a term? We have, we have never had a prime minister complete a term. This was like yeah. the first time in Pakistan's history that a sitting government passed their government to another one without a military group.
1: Without military intervention. Yeah, uh-huh. I know. Usually the military would come in and overthrow the civilian government, but there was uh, a, this was actually a transfer of power from one civilian government uh, to another. Yeah.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah. So, like, can we let the guy complete five years? Can we like see what he does?
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so, yeah, I'm just watching. I used to like Imran Khan. It's not like I, I hate him or anything. I I'm naive enough to still have hopes from him, but maybe he will deliver. There's just something about him that I like, and I I really like the 90s and early 2000s Imran when he used to speak up against. The army, when he used to speak up against the treatment of MEDs and stuff like that, um, I think he has to kind of. I remember watching Haris Sultan's video on this on Imran Khan, and I agree with Haris Harris that I think Imran Khan on the inside is quite a liberal, but he has to um, Islamicize it up for the Pakistan the
1: rhetoric, government. yeah. Like, well, I mean, yeah. that's the thing in a, in a when you're dependent on people's votes, you know, you have to go with what people are thinking and if you're in a country where you know millions come out to celebrate Mumtaz Gadri right exactly the assassin of Salman Tasir so uh-huh. so you have um, and it, what's interest I find it interesting that he talks about the Riyasati Medina and for those who don't know the Constitution of Medina is when when uh, Muhammad um, uh, made the hijri the, it's called the hijri the transfer from Mecca to Medina uh, he started a constitution there he made a treaty with the Jews uh, who were in Medina at the time? That later on went to bust. But uh, he he uh, essentially talked about protecting the rights of minorities. So I think that is a kind of thing that Imran Khan seems to be uh, wanting. He he's idealized and he's like interpreted the constitution of Medina very very liberally of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he always gives the examples of Norway and Sweden and all these Scandinavian countries, which have amazing uh-huh. systems. And, and they're all secular. They're like the most atheistic countries yeah. in the world. with The uh, lowest are. crime rates and the highest sort of uh, standards of living and happiness index uh, reports and everything. But he always talks about, well, those, you know, that is what the real Islam is. And so I, I don't really know what he's up to. But, but h- how is it for uh, atheists now? Like, you know, you had... You had uh, secu- the, the, all of the secular bloggers that were taken away by uh, you know during Nawaz's time. Do you think that uh, Imran Khan is uh, probably more open to uh, n- I guess not doing that kind of thing and not cracking down on atheists like some of the previous civilian administrations have?
2: I know he's been censoring the media quite a lot, um, mm-hmm. but that's mostly censoring opposition. Um, and not really religious opposition, but just like political opposition. So right. I hope he doesn't do what he, what the previous government did when they had a 2017 crackdown on atheist bloggers and um, dissenters of the army. Um, mm. I, I don't know. I can't, I, I, can't speak for him, but I, because I've been here for only three months and yeah, I, I know. I'm more, probably yeah. asking you
1: too many questions that are beyond. Like, what? I'm just curious to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No. I, I, yeah. But I mean, I'm just discussing over, in my mind. I'm just yeah. thinking out loud that, you know, for Hamza Ali Abbasi, who's a, a friend of Imran Khan's, to come and engage yeah. with, you know, a prominent YouTube atheist, I yeah, I, I found that really encouraging. Connect,
2: you know, considering uh-huh. that. And I hope uh, we can have that conversation in Pakistan. I hope we can normalize dissent, as the ex MNA says, like normalizing religious dissent. And I hope we can have that in Pakistan. And it will take decades. Yeah. Um, but it might happen. It might.
1: Yeah, you know what's funny is that uh, the generation of Imran Khan that grew up, and I know my, my father and my uncles and everything in Pakistan, there was, and uh, a lot of them were very comfortable, they, they were open atheists, because, mm-hmm. they, you know, socialism and Marxism and communism was a very big thing, you know, there were many sort of liberal elite Pakistani uncles now, right, uh, yeah. you wouldn't call them dad, I guess in your case you would call them grandpa. Grandpa. <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. So a lot of the, these grandpas, these baby boomers, were uh, open atheists, and they used to talk about it in school. It was it was very different until you know the Zia'ul Haq time came by, and that's when uh-huh. everything became a lot more Islamized. So I don't know. Like I, I I share your optimism, but it's a very cautious kind of optimism. Exactly. And what do you think about? Uh, so I I know you've been there for for three months, but I guess also talk a little bit about uh, maybe your time in Sharjah, uh, connecting with other LGBT members. You know, people in the LGBT community. I, what has your experience been like for that? To what role has it been organic? To what role? To, to what if? To what extent has the internet uh, played a role in it? Um, or is it is it possible at all? Is it something that you find
2: risky? Um, I give all credit to the internet. It was through the internet that I connected with the LGBT community, not just in the UAE, but worldwide. I don't think I really connected with any queer person from the UAE because I was still living there. And even though I was out, I still didn't, I like, you know, living in the same country, it's a small country, everybody knows each other. And so I just didn't want to be a target of harassment and bullying. Right. So I made a lot of LGBT friends in... The US, in the UK, and then eventually I discovered a whole community of LGBT people in Pakistan after I came out through the Queer Muslim Project post. And I made mm-hmm. another post um, on another account. They're called Needless Opinions on Instagram. Um, they're a friend of mine. And uh, I came, I wrote another uh, post for them. And even through that, they, I connected with a lot of Pakistani LGBTQ, queer, secular people in Pakistan. And mm-hmm. so it was all because of the internet. Was it risky? My pics are out there. My pictures are still out there in the public. The Queer Muslim Project has like twelve to 13,000 followers. And mm-hmm. the Needless Opinions has like 1,000 followers. So it is risky. But hey, like I've never shied away from anything.
1: Yeah, well, kudos to you. But uh, <laughs> I, I also, as as much as I sit here and admire you and, and respect you for uh, being as bold and as just comfortable and confident as you are. I, I do worry about you as well. And I, uh, you know, I I just, I just hope you stay safe. I mean, I, you're just such an important voice. So yeah, um, thank just you. Yeah, stay, stay safe out there too. Um, thank you. So is it, but have you been able to meet people since you came to Pakistan three months ago? Uh, do the people that you live with and everything and do, do they know? How many of them know? Are, are you out to anybody?
2: I'm out to my sister. One mm-hmm. um, of my cousins figured out that I was gay. And um, he's conservative Muslim, but I can share my feelings with him. Like how how yesterday I went to the mall and there was this really cute looking guy. And he was checking me <laughs> out and I was checking him out. And I was just like talk, telling him about that. And um apparently in pakistan they really like skinny young 19 year old boys over here and so i, I get a lot of attention <laughs> I, I,
1: I don't it. think that's just a pakistan thing
2: <laughs> oh really
1: yeah so no, so i'll I get attention it's anywhere it's, it's a classic. it's a pretty classic stereotype <laughs> so <laughs>
2: i get a lot say. of attention here so i used to i i tell him everything and i just like share with him but the ex-muslim thing i just cannot tell anyone like you can be gay in pakistan but you cannot be an ex-muslim you know
1: yeah, I think you know. I I wonder why that is because when when I was in Pakistan in the '90s, so I remember. You know, you're talking about the underground clubs. I remember there was an underground club called Queens in in Lahore. Uh, you know, there there was some sort of like prominent uh, people who were gay that everybody sort of knew about, but they never really talked about openly. I mean, nobody outed them. Uh, there, there was a so, but it was much much harder to talk about because it wasn't accepted anywhere you know at that time it wasn't even in the u.s. even in canada Uh um you know it just wasn't that open a thing you know i I, so but but now i I think because you know you have same-sex marriages legalized and virtually like in in most uh, western countries um people in pakistan obviously they know that so i think it's something that has become uh normalized even if not in the country at least you know there's a thing that out there in the world you know this is something that is not exactly considered abhorrent by a lot of people and it it contrasts how it was but the ex-muslim thing really is a very sort of new phenomenon so do do you find it i guess you've already hinted toward this but do you find it more um challenging to be a uh An ex-Muslim or a uh, gay person in Pakistan?
2: Um, Definitely an ex-Muslim. It's like there is an LGBT community here. There are underground LGBT centers, support centers, um, and I know some big LGBT personalities personalities in Pakistan. And so you have support here. Um, if you just know, have the right connections, they know the right people. But for ex-Muslims, mm-hmm. it's very difficult to find because especially after the 2017 crackdown, people yeah. have become a lot more scared. And so, like, it's really, really hard to find atheist forums here. And I've been able to connect with a few Pakistanis, um, online from my Twitter. I know some of them and I've connected with people from all around the world. Um, India, Pakistan, the UK, the US, Europe, Australia, and... Um, it's just been amazing. Somalia, I've been, I'm just so intrigued by the Somali ex-Muslim community.' There's, they're oh, so yeah. huge and so passionate, and I just love the Somali ex muslim And the weird thing was I was once caught in a fight between uh, Moldavian Muslims and Moldavian ex-Muslims. and through that, I discovered Moldavian ex-Muslim Twitter, and I loved them absolutely as well. <laughs> so I just hope yeah, I'm we've had, had... A Pakistani ex-Muslim community on
1: online. Yeah, no, no, I don't th- know. I so so there are actually it's just that I feel like before the 2017 crackdown, uh, you heard from them I mean when I was writing my book around 2015 2016 yeah. I heard from so many like Pakistani journalists, like really famous journalists, f- politicians, celebrities. Yeah. Um they were all kind of getting their input and they're like, oh, "Make sure you write about this, make sure you write about that." And I, it was amazing to me how many prominent people we're ex-Muslims and we're atheists in Pakistan. It's just that I think that they have stopped uh, openly organizing now because it's, it's hard to know who you can trust because of that 2017 crackdown. And I think that's been uh-huh. really, really devastating uh, to, to, to the
2: entire movement there. But at, it, there are definitely, you know, a, a lot of people. Um, I mean, look at some of the biggest ex-Muslim activists in the world. There's you, there's Jimmy Bangish, there's Ali Malik. Um, Sarah Heather, Sadi Hamid, everybody has Pakistani background, and yeah. so it's like a, a lot of Pakistanis are free thinkers and secularists and atheists. It's just that we don't really have a platform to speak anymore, and I wanted to change that. And I'm like, I know I'm young, and I'm the authorities won't be taking me seriously. Like I'm 19. I'm I have like a very cute DP. So they, maybe they don't really, they won't really be <laughs> intimidated by me. Like my DP is yeah. really cute. Not gonna lie, uh, it
1: is very cute. Okay, I'm not gonna. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit that, really.
2: <laughs> and so I just wanted to change that, and that's why I'm making the podcast, the Sinning Skeptics podcast, um, which I, and where I just want to connect young ex-Muslims from around the world.
1: Okay, so so let's do that now. Let's talk about this. I, I think we're over an hour, so we can. Uh, yeah, we can spend...
2: I didn't even. Yeah, notice. yeah,
1: yeah. T- time's fun when you're having flies, or no, yes. something like that. <laughs> Time flies. Never mind. It's it's very (laughs) it's very late here. Okay, and I'm I'm a burdankel as I told you. So, Uh, but the so so your podcast. Okay, this is so this is really really exciting for me. This is the very first podcast by an ex-Muslim person living in Pakistan, right? Who is going to put out this podcast from Pakistan, and it's called the Sinning Skeptics, and it's going to be especially i think I, I, most people who are listening to this i'm pretty confident that they will agree that uh, you're you're very articulate and very thoughtful young man so i think that whatever they hear in the podcast uh, whatever discussions you have um I, we can all look forward to them so so t- tell us about this so you're the first ex-muslim podcaster living in pakistan who's broadcasting out of pakistan so Congratulations on the launch, uh, first of all. Thank you. (laughs) And I can't wait to subscribe. I can't wait to donate. Uh, If you have a Patreon, whatever it is, you need Uh to send that to me so I can put it in the description and we can let everybody know. Do you have anything, a
2: Patreon account so far? Uh, Not a Patreon account. Um, We're just starting and we definitely want to grow in the future. We are starting with season one right now and we want to be able to move to different platforms like Spotify. We got a lot of requests to be on Spotify but I looked up it's quite a lengthy procedure to be on Spotify. I and mean, we, like, once we grow and we have enough followers, we'll move to different platforms. Then we'll create a Patreon page. And uh, we, we will donate that to different, excuse organizations. We will not take any earning for ourselves. Um, and we're just discussing. We have a whole team behind this. I'm Pakistani. Another one is Pakistani. And we have one, my co-host, Seth, who... Um, got noticed by XMNA and other ex-Muslim activists. We, she has like 7,000 views on her Twitter video video promoting our podcast. She's my co-host and co-founder, and she's of Pakistani origin, but she lives in the UK. We have another living in the UK, another living in the UK, one in the USA, and so our team is really diverse. Our editor is Pakistani, and we're just we're bringing that ex-Muslim experience out there and we want to be able to give young ex-muslims a platform to show them that they're not alone in this and we want to be able to make it as interactive as possible um we have a structure planned out this is how we want to do it it's really interesting and i can't wait to share with everybody but the first two podcasts we were just we just want to talk about leaving islam why we left islam and just like talk about all of that and we started a hashtag on twitter hashtag endless reasons why we have a tagline called End- Endless Reasons Why Leaving Islam has More Than 13. It's a play on the show Thirteen Reasons Why.
1: Yeah. And
2: yeah. and we we started a hashtag and we want we asked people to send in their stories or their tweets on why they left Islam. And we're gonna definitely we got a lot of tweets. I remember like in a few hours when I tweeted that, we didn't get we got one reply. And I was to my team I'm like, I give up. Like we are not gonna <laughs> go anywhere. We are flops, like I cannot do this, I'm disheartened, and like then Faye retweeted, um, Yasmin Muhammad retweeted, and we got some replies, and then we got a lot of replies, and I was like, oh my god, we're trending hashtag. Yeah. And we got yeah. a lot of replies now, and we're so excited because we want to share ex-Muslim perspectives, and we just want to make it as interactive as possible, making sure every ex-Muslim person in the world gets to be on our podcast, somewhere or the other, so that they're yeah. out there. And we already, this is one person who contacted me, he's, he's Turkish, and he lives in the uh, United States, and he is opening a blog soon about secularism, atheism, and Islam. And he asked to be on and I'm like, we would love to have you on as as a guest. And we already have so many requests pouring in. And we're just so, so so excited about this project.
1: Well, I mean, I'm getting excited just hearing you talk about it. I mean, it seems like you really have your shit together. I mean, you have a whole team and I I would just suggest that you know this what you're saying about the Spotify process and the iTunes Uh process, Uh, make sure it goes on iTunes. Start the process. Don't worry about waiting for like a large uh, uh follower count. If you need donations or anything, uh, let us uh-huh. know. Um, there are many of us out there who would be more than willing to help you, um, with the finances and everything else that you need. Um, mm-hmm. but just get it out there, make sure you at least get the process going for all of the different platforms for it to be on uh-huh. so that people can access it in, in as many platforms as possible. Because you know what it's like nowadays, right? You have these reporting. The uh, mass reporting happening. You've got algorithms, so the the only yeah. way we can actually stay afloat is that if Facebook I've, removes you, yeah. go to Twitter. If Twitter removes uh-huh. you, go to Facebook. Go to YouTube, and you, you just have to go wherever it's it's okay, and just do your best to get it out there. But um, I th- I think it's going to be excellent. Uh, I'm going to subscribe to it. I'm going to listen to it. I I'm looking yeah. forward to hearing all uh-huh. of these voices. Uh, coming up and it seems like you really have a good team together but uh, one one question for you is that do you want to um, do you have a plan to actually do this in Urdu as well at all or any, any kind of Urdu projects just yet
2: alright before I answer that um, my team my, not my team my co-founder Seth she specifically told me to tell this that the entire team absolutely loves and adores you so the thing is, um, <laughs> if they're listening right now, none yeah. of them, except Saf, know that I'm on The Secular Jihadist. I told them that I'm going to be on a podcast, and none of them know that it's today and that I'm filming right now. And uh. let alone that I'm with Ali Rizvi and on The Secular Jihadist. Only Saf know, and she, because she kind of figured it out. Um, so they're going to be really excited and surprised. And they just want to let you know that they are absolute fans of yours. And like you changed lives with your book. So, now, like, to see thank that you now for I- that.
1: Now you're gonna make me cry, like, this is, <laughs> and well, I mean, this is this is why we do what we do, and this is so gratifying to hear it. I mean, I just,
2: uh-huh.
1: I, I don't, I don't know what to say, but thank well, you very this much.
2: Is like a dad son moment. Uh,
1: it is. Well, I guess it is, isn't it? It's like a dad son moment. <laughs> <laughs>
2: now yeah, coming know. back to your question, um, in Urdu, yeah. I don't know. We have so many options. We have so many ideas, and we wanna. I was talking to Seth the other day. She's like, in the future, we want to have our own convention. You know how they had the Celebrating Descent Convention in Amsterdam? Yeah. One day we will have our own convention. We'll invite all the big ex-Muslim activists and everybody. And we just have a lot of dreams. And we have a lot of ideas. We just want to take it step by step. And we want to be out there as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And now that you um, advise us to be on different platforms, just to, like get the process started, I hope they're listening. Hi, team. I hope you're listening. Let's mm-hmm. get it started. Um, they're all very hardworking. Uh, oh, the past week was so hectic. It was just all about promo. And mm. when this awesome without Allah hashtag was going to trend, um, yeah. staff, the genius that she is, she's like, um, we were going to actually reveal the project a day or two later. And she was like, I, let's, how about we somehow, because we're going to get a lot of attention if we join in within this hashtag and reveal our project. And we did, mm. we got so much attention and so much hype and like, we got noticed by some of the biggest ex-Muslim activists in the world. Yasmin Muhammad tweeted about us. Zara K. tweeted about us. Yeah. Ali Malik tweeted about us. Jimmy Ashams, they retweeted us. Um, and just so, and uh, Maryam Namazi tweeted about us. And Seth yeah. is a huge Mariam Namazi fan. So, it was, and now I'm here on the... Um, Mariam Namazi podcast. is
1: just like, she's a goddess. She's amazing.
2: Uh-huh.
1: I, I call her, I call, I, I always tell people, I'm like, I'm not an atheist anymore. I already, you know, uh-huh. I know Mariam Namazi is
2: God uh-huh she's yeah. mom she's literally mom <laughs> <laughs> and i love zara zara has she's so busy with the work that she does and she still took out time to tweet about us and retweet us and help us she's like which whenever you need help she's just an angel and zara has always been supportive she was the first i think explicit activist who followed me on twitter and she's been so supportive ever since and she's just an amazing angel and yasmin Mohammed, i remember i thanked her for like tweeting about us about us she was like Please don't thank me. I'm your ex-Muslim mama, and I was just like, "Oh my god, <laughs> It was just so crazy."
1: No, I, I, I'm just, I like, love so this. Just so
2: grateful for all this love and support from the entire This is community.
1: sort of continuing now. So the thing is, you know, what what was amazing about Amsterdam is is that, um, so, so we all went there, and I could, you know, so you know, everybody you mentioned, like most of the people you mentioned, Zara was there, you know, Muhammad Sayed, Zara Heather were there. Um, yeah. Faye was there Jimmy Bangash was there Armin Navabi, Mariam Namazi like all, all of it everybody was yeah. Haris Sultan like all, all these guys we were all there and we had never a lot of us knew each other virtually like yeah. where we had met you know the, I'd, I'd only uh, really I've, I've met Armin in person I've met Mary I've met Mariam in person before but I hadn't really met most of of these people and uh, when we went there I mean we had the conference and talk, we talk usually we talk about all of the work that we're doing. But we really got a chance to just hang out as friends and just shoot the shit and talk about all kinds of other things. And mm-hmm. it was just such a... Uh, it was such... And everybody was just... There were so many hugs and it was so affectionate. Everybody was together. And uh, it, it was just one of the most amazing weekends. So uh-huh. That's so
2: cute. it's And I,
1: I feel like that's continuing right now. I'm still in that yeah. mode right now talking to you. So uh-huh. this is just all all of this like amazing positivity and, and love. it's just, yeah, it's so needed here. I mean, this is, is because a lot of the things that we talk about are so dark. There's so many yeah. things that are depressing. You know, we're talking about Ayas and Zami. We're talking about, uh-huh. um, you know, we've had, you know, Raif Badawi's wife on this show. Yes. Uh, we have in talked South to...
2: Heather.
1: In Heather. Heather. We've had her on the show. Uh, we've heard so many like devastating stories uh, and It was Just for change, it was just good to see all of these people that have come from really, really tough backgrounds and overcome such tremendous adversity and abuse and ostracization and 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 all of these people just coming together, smiling, laughing, uh, you know, having fun. It it was like a family reunion. You know, you're meeting people or all of these people who thought that they'd left their families now, you know, have a whole new family. And uh, you know they're just. I, I think it's fantastic, and I think that with your podcast and everything that you're doing, you're just going to continue that. And this yeah. really is the next step, man. I mean, it's the next step to to bring a more hope and positivity and optimism into the to the future. For
2: this. Yeah. So. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this man. I so much coming from you.
1: No, it means that I am just. I'm. I'm having so much fun just talking to you, and like I. So I will. I haven't actually uh, seen a lot of the tweets unfortunately that, that, that yeah. you guys did but I want to promote this as much as I can um, yeah. I know that all of us that you've mentioned uh, we will all be very very happy to get involved um, if you start a patreon if you can if you can send it to me so that we can have this in the have it in the description whenever you get it going um, sure. we're going to get that and and we're, we're all gonna subscribe and that's how we are so uh, it will help you in any way we can, but I think this is phenomenal work. So, Thank you but, so much. But, but back to the question, I don't know if you answered it. Did Urdu. Oh, the Urdu, are, Urdu are you, thing. Oh,
2: yeah.
1: Are you planning just, to do any any of this work in Urdu?
2: Um, I was saying that we're taking baby steps at the time. We don't have anything in Urdu plan because um, most of our because we have we are aiming at a global audience, you know, at the moment, and so English is a universal language, and that's why we're doing it in English um but hey maybe one day i will aim it at just pakistanis because i want to be able to connect pakistani young ex-muslim and um free thinkers in this country so yeah i mean i'm also working on an lgbt organization in pakistan it's not my organization i'm uh, i am i am just a part of it and we are opening membership really soon mm-hmm. and we just like really excited to do that so i have the podcast i have this lgbt organization it's lahore based i'm not yeah. in lahore and but mm-hmm. um Still, I have connections in Lahore, I have so many friends in Lahore and uh, I have connections in my city as well and so we're just really excited to get this started and uh, yeah I'm just gonna keep myself busy and because I really needed to, um, I just did not have a great last month, I came here for university and it just didn't kind of happen because there were just a lot of reasons Mm -hmm. and I was just like really in a dark place, not just because of university but it was a lot of other reasons. And now I'm making sure that I keep myself busy because it is just so good for our mental health. And yeah. I'm just really excited about this podcast, the LGBT organization. And hey, thanks for the suggestion, Veep, I might do something in Urdu in the future.
1: I think that'd be great because I think Harris uh, Harris has been doing podcasts in and he's, he's had a lot of success with it. Um, for uh, people who are listening to this, any patrons, once we get to 500 patrons, we're going to actually start uh, translating a lot of uh, our shows that we've done uh, into Urdu and Arabic and Farsi, Malay, uh, Persian, uh, well, I mean, Farsi, I guess. Yeah. All of these, uh, all the different languages. Uh, so we also hope to do that. And I, I think that that uh, really is a sort of natural progression with the success of all of these podcasts and all of these interviews that we've had uh, recently I think that's yeah. great. Uh, I also wanted to for the audience talk about the awesome without Allah hashtag this is a yeah this is a uh, campaign that was started by ex-muslims of North America uh, when we were there uh, they had uh, gotten billboards out in Atlanta, Houston and Chicago like huge billboards uh, talking about uh, ex-muslims how you know one in four people raised Muslim in the United States have left uh, Islam according to polls recent polls incredible. Yeah, and uh, the, the tagline is Godless, fearless, ex-Muslim. And uh, these huge billboards went out uh, you know, all over these big cities. Uh, they've been getting a lot of attention and loads and loads of uh, ex-Muslims have started coming out and making little videos uh, with the hashtag awesome without Allah. So if you haven't checked that out already, uh, you should check it out. You, there's really some amazing stories and amazing content there. So um, yeah, that, that's one thing. Um, th- so the last question uh, I don't want to keep you for too long um, <laughs> but uh, what do you see and I guess we've already talked about this a little bit but how do you see the future I guess you've talked about your ideal future that you want to see but uh, just in terms of realistically where do you see things going with the ex-Muslim movement with uh, LGBTQ people from uh, the, the Muslim world like, what is your view and your hopes for the future?
2: I, I think the more that ex-Muslims in the West speak up against Islam, is gonna put more pressure on Muslims living in Muslim-majority countries, and they're gonna want to reform. They're gonna wanna want to reform Islam and not really reform Islam, but make it a little less intense than it already is. Maybe mm-hmm. become less homophobic, less, less misogynistic. Because like, you have people literally saying that Islam is a feminist religion already because there's so much backlash from the Muslim community in the Western secular countries, exposing Islam for being homophobic, misogynistic, and all of that, yada, yada. And it's going to put a pressure on Muslims, especially Muslims who do care about their image and the image of Islam. And they're going to want to become better and more accepting. And you already yeah. have attitudes like, um, I don't really support the LGBT, but I respect people's lives and their their right to choose their lifestyle and live the way they want. Um, I remember watching this one video of this young ex-muslim girl living in America, and she said that she doesn't support the gay marriage, but she doesn't oppose it either because her religion does not support it, but the law does. And so she does not want her religion to d- dictate the law. And so I think we will ha- we will definitely have something like this in the mm-hmm. future. However... We know the identity of Muslims in an overwhelming majority in majority Muslim countries. And it, <laughs> yeah. it, it might take decades and decades. It might take centuries. But, hey, we'll eventually get there.
1: Yeah, I, I actually think, you know, just the way that I've seen had things happen in the last 20 years. Um, oh. it's, uh, it's before you were born, actually. But, you know, the <laughs> way that things were all the way until now, it feels like I think it's going to be decades I, you know when when the people say when you hear a lot of like liberal Muslims say well Muhammad was the first feminist, yeah. and you listen to it and you laugh and you roll your eyes. But there is a there is a silver lining to that. Why are they saying it? I, yeah. If they're saying it for the reason that I mean you nailed it right right now when uh-huh. when you were talking about it, it's because there is pressure. There is pressure to modernize and. Uh, people who are muslim they want to show that our, our religion can modernize too and and you know they say yes muhammad was the first feminist it's a revisionist tactic but i always joke i'm like you know, today they say muhammad was the first feminist and then 20 30 years from now there'll be people saying hey you know muhammad was the first lgbtq rights activist <laughs> like that, that's, that, so you that's already working. have
2: lgbt muslims <laughs> claiming that islam is actually very lgbt i remember this i told you the, the page that i follow they had a whole story about how Islam is, does not oppose the LGBT, and it was just so ridiculous. I mean, it reminded me of myself. When I was a gay Muslim, I used to tell that gay marriage is actually allowed in Islam because Allah doesn't really say anywhere. You can't, two men and two women can't get married. So, yeah. You know, like, you can twist religion however you want to. So you will definitely you really have can't. that in the future.
1: Yeah, there, there are a lot of people who are sort of ex-LGBT, uh, there's, a, there's a ex-Muslims who are LGBT who... who um, Used to believe that at at one point yeah. when they were Muslim. So, it, w- whatever gets you there, you know. I I, I I I I think it's amazing. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how this goes. Um, are you <laughs> have you traveled outside uh, Pakistan? Have you ever come here to North America or to Europe or any,
2: any place Never. else? Never. I've been to the UAE. I've been to Saudi Arabia ten times. I've been to Oman and I've been to Pakistan. Nowhere else.
1: Uh, okay. So you've been you you have a similar kind of history to me. Until uh, I was 24, I hadn't been anywhere else. I mean, I'd visited, but I'd never actually, uh, I only moved here later. But, you know, well, you know what? Hope, hopefully, uh, we're going to uh, get you here at some point and uh, have you talk at one of these conferences and really, you know, to make, a, make a difference if you that kind of platform. Yeah, so, Is that a clock I can
2: it's, it's, hear? Uh, it's an army jet. Oh, it's they an army Yeah, they fly one time in the morning and one time in the night, and it is just so loud because they fly in such low altitude, yeah. so near to our houses, and it's just kind of scary. <laughs> but it's monitoring, you know. There's like a threat of war and everything, and so they monitor because it's the capital, so they have to monitor.
1: Oh, especially with the situation right now, what's happening there, uh-huh. right? With the
2: uh-huh. Kashmir
1: situation. Oh maybe.
2: my god! Did I did I just accidentally reveal my city?
1: <laughs> huh?
2: Did I just I accidentally re- reveal my city? <laughs>
1: Hopefully it'll be fine. If you feel uncomfortable <laughs> with it, let me know, and I can. No, no, I'm take fine.
2: I'm fine with it. If yeah. y'all are listening and y'all are in my city, hit me up. I want more explicit friends.
1: Uh huh. And so I'm fine yeah, with it. I don't think yeah, I don't think uh, you're gonna have any uh, issues finding friends. But anyway, listen, uh, we're gonna uh, wrap this up now. I Just want to say, uh, stay safe. Um, okay. Be very careful. You are a huge asset to everybody else. So every, every I mean, everybody, uh, all of us. So. Uh, we're all kind of gunning for you and uh, you. we want to make sure the biggest thing is for you to stay safe and stay secure um, uh-huh. and uh, well you know you have a lot of balls you have a lot of courage so uh, I know that sometimes it can be tempting but just uh-huh. try and, and be vigilant
2: yeah you're right Yeah. thank you so much
1: Hey, thank you
0: The secular jihadists have been made possible thanks to the Illuminati and the covert support of Israel and the CIA. That's what we have been told, but we haven't received our checks yet. If you like what we do, please support us, share the podcast with your friends, write and tweet us with topic and guest suggestions, or head over to secularjihadist.com and give a dollar or more for exclusive access to live video, have your questions read and answered on the air, and more. Till next time, may the flying spaghetti monster be with you.